Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. It is my honor to introduce former Governor Luis Fortuno, uh, former governor of Puerto Rico, who is coming to us from Puerto Rico to talk about the status of Puerto Rico. And uh, there's a bill that's going through Congress right now, and uh, this is sort of like a perpetual... Uh, a perpetual topic, uh, Governor Fortuno, which is the status of Puerto Rico. Uh, right now, its status is basically a, a territory. Some would call it a colony. Uh, it's been that way for 124 years. And uh, perhaps the people of Puerto Rico are a little tired of that status. I'm gonna, I, I want to tell the U.S. to either fish or cut bait at this point. Uh, well, indeed, uh, we have been uh, part of the country uh, since, you know, 1898. Mm -hmm. We uh, Congress granted us citizenship in 1917, and we have fought uh, in every single war since then uh, on behalf of democracy with uh, courage and valor. Uh, actually, normally at much greater numbers per, per capita than the rest of the country. Uh, my father himself, you know, uh, he was uh, 101st Airborne. Wow. Uh, yep, I'm a Marmory brat. Uh, we're proud of, uh, of uh, the service of so many over 200,000 uh, uh, people from, from the island have served in one way or another. And we always have people uh, that are active. Right now, we have a unit uh, in Poland uh, that's assisting in, in what we are doing right across from the border with Ukraine. Right. I mean, this is, uh, this is a, a, a people who have contributed mightily to the uh, American experiment over the last century plus. And, uh, and, uh, you know, to a certain extent, they, they, there, there's a, there's a certain level of self-determination, but not a complete level of self-determination. Uh, for that, you'd have to have either statehood or independence. And that's correct. Yeah. I mean, and part of this is, I think that nobody's really quite sure what the best way to go here is. And so you end up with this, you know, century long stasis. Is it better to have Puerto Rico be an independent country? Is it better to have it as a state? Is it better to keep it in its, its current status? And Governor Fortuno, I would say that the, the current status is probably the least tenable, not just for Puerto Rico, but also for, you know, the American sense of itself, which is that uh, we don't do colonies. <laughs> that sort of that sort of you know self uh, image of of Americans. Well, and and you know, when the founding fathers drafted our constitution, they saw all that land out west, and uh, they thought, well, these are you know they're becoming or will become territories, and eventually will become states. But it could not be an automatic uh, thing, and 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 it probably made sense to you know to have a territory uh, grow in population and otherwise for 15, 20 years, and then uh, become a state of the union as 37 territories did uh, to join the 13 original colonies, uh, but not 124 years. Right. <laughs> that that was never the intent of the founding fathers. And this ought to be addressed one way or another uh, as, as quickly as possible. And only Congress uh, can address this. That's right. Congress has to authorize any change of status here. And they're working on a bill right now. I think there's two or three different proposals going into this bill. But the upshot of it is I think all of them are going to have one thing in common is that they're actually going to have a, a binding plebiscite. There's been 
votes referendums take referenda taken in puerto rico before but they weren't binding because congress didn't authorize them it's just sort of like a a sense of the of the territory where it wanted to go um tell us a little bit about why those messages didn't make it why they why that didn't move the needle well to begin with uh the fact that voters knowing that congress is not bound it's not even actually sponsoring the process right <laughs> uh turns off uh a number of, of voters that's what we begin with secondly if you as a voter know that the vote won't count and won't matter well you may use that opportunity to just send a, a message to you know whoever is the governor at the time or whoever is your state legislature or legislature or whatever uh, and and vote in a way that has nothing to do with what you intend uh, the future status or permanent status of of the territory should be. Uh, whereas, if there were to be a a Congress sanction process uh, that binds Congress in one way or another uh, to at least a process, uh, then voters will take uh, the uh, you know the process quite seriously, and and that's exactly what we do. However, I will say that in 2012, with 78% of voters participating, that's good. Uh, the current status was rejected. The territorial status was rejected uh, by a majority of voters by about a 10% margin. Uh, so, so in one basic tenet of our democracy is that you cannot govern a, a group of people uh, against their will. Right. And that is exactly what is happening, at least since 2012. So that's why I'm hopeful that Congress will take this up. Well, it's been 10 years. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe that's a little too quick for Congress. I'm kidding, Governor Fortune. Of course, I'm I'm, I'm kidding around. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're not. It's it's way overdue. I've been serving Congress. I know. <laughs> so so basically, we got we have two options here. One is uh, to to grant statehood to Puerto Rico, full statehood. Uh, the other is to grant an independence. And I'll, I'll ask you uh, to give us what you see as the pluses and minuses of either of those two options. You can talk about which one you prefer, actually, if you'd sure. like. Sure. Well, let me let me go over both, if I may, very quickly. Uh, in terms of independence, well, you know, uh, I guess... I believe in individual freedom. Uh, so, so freedom is is ingrained in in human nature. So, what's wrong with that? Uh, of course. But then again, we have been a, a part of a nation for 124 years. We're proud of that. Actually, more than half of people of Puerto Rican descent, all American citizens, uh, you know, reside in the U.S. mainland. Uh, so, how can you, you know, just split up? Uh, 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 us, uh, it, it will make no sense. Right. And our economy, uh, uh, you know, our our history now is is fully intertwined, uh, and we are part of the great experiment that we call America. So the other option is to become a state, and uh, well, there'll be uh, great advantages to it to begin with political power. We will be represented, duly represented in Congress. I served in Congress representing Puerto Rico as a non-voting delegate. It was frustrating to file bills, fight for amendments, vote on amendments, and then on final passage, I would just go out and get a cup of coffee because I couldn't yeah. do anything during final passage of the bill. 
yeah. Uh, so it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, also, this current uh, situation is not a good deal for American taxpayers. Uh, if we become a state, we would be paying taxes to the U.S. Treasury. Not that we love taxes, but you know, right. we would be contributing in addition to our men and women in uniform. We will be contributing uh, with our tax tax dollars. Right now, we do not contribute uh, other than to Social Security and Medicare uh, on any income that's derived from economic activities that occur in Puerto Rico. Uh, if, if, for example, I own you know uh, stock in a you know a U.S. traded company, then you know whatever I, I, I earn there, I pay the IRS. But but if I earn money in a business, I have a you know small shop here in San Juan. I will pay the U.S., you know, the local IRS, but but not the U.S. IRS, you know, the national. So it's not a good deal uh, for the American taxpayer. And I think it's about time that this become a, a better deal for both sides of, of the equation. And Governor Fortuno, you're you're Republican, right? You were a Republican governor. I'm a conservative libertarian. There you go. Republican. <laughs> yes. I mean... <laughs> Granted, all sorts of different shades. I'm probably a conservative libertarian Republican myself, right? I'm not really, yeah. a, not necessarily a populist Republican, more of a conservative libertarian Republican myself. So I think we're, I think we're pro probably pretty close in, in outlook. But I think one of the issues, one of the problems, I don't want to say it's not even an issue, but I think one of the obstacles here has been that there is a sense that, that the question of changing Puerto Rico's status has been, has become a partisan issue. Um, I mean, you've seen this. It's 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 been mostly driven by Democrats, although there are certainly significant Republicans who are now on board with the idea of of finally resolving this. Marco Rubio being one of them, for instance, another conservative libertarian Republican. Um, and I mean, first off, that's got to be a little frustrating to you because this really shouldn't be a a. Um, a, a sort of a tribal warfare sort of thing, but the way things are going in Washington, it's it's still, you're going to have to get over that, right? You're correct, uh, Ed, and it, it shouldn't be. Uh, the rights of American citizens should not be subject to partisan politics. That's to begin with. But on top of that, I, I listened to some of my colleagues in the Republican Party saying, oh, you know, you're going to be electing all these liberal Democrats because they see the New York, uh, you know, Democrats and they assume that the AOC and others, you know, that, that we will elect them. Uh, you know, I'm a open libertarian, open conservative, uh, extremely conservative on a fiscal matters. And I ran and got elected statewide twice. Right. One of those times by the largest margin in over 40 years. Uh, if if this is a liberal uh, I know jurisdiction, I, I mean I, I wanna I wanna find a, a conservative one. Uh, our current representative in Congress is was the chair of the Republican Party of Puerto Rico. She got reelected by the largest margin in the last election in the 2020 election by over 20 uh, over 10 points. And not only was she a Republican, she openly supported President Trump in the 2020 election. So again, uh, to, to, and she, again, the, nobody else got reelected or elected by such a wide margin. So to say that this is a liberal 
jurisdiction, uh, I it, it simply you know shows that whomever is saying that doesn't understand uh, the island. Governor Fortuna, the other I think the other issue that's come up, you, you mentioned being a fiscal conservative, and, and certainly that's been your hallmark. But there's been a lot of issues about um, Puerto Rico's fiscal status. And I think that based on I, I think there may have been some reluctance based on where that was at. Now, the bankruptcy is, I think, over, right, in Puerto Rico? I think or it's, yes. it's almost it's, is it over or almost over? I know you're, you're okay. about ready to come out of it. Yeah, yeah well, actually. All the main, we have different silos, you know, in terms right. of debt, but the general obligation debt, which is the state that, you know, there were some public corporations that are still pending a couple of those, but all the, uh, you know, the, the major uh, debt silos, including the statewide, you know, this, where, where, you know, where we pay our taxes here, uh, uh, that's all already. And by the way, uh, that bankruptcy could have been avoided should have never happened. But you know what? I uh, Every time someone in Washington tells me about being irresponsible about <laughs> that. I, I know where you're going. Head. I know where you're going I, with I, this. You know, it's like, gi give me a break. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a town where actually most uh, representatives from both parties have gone along with uh, on a ride of just keep spending and not worry about tomorrow. Uh, so anyway, uh, having said that, I, I, I could not resist myself. I'm sorry. No, I'm glad uh, you did. I'm glad you did because I was going to go there next. I was like, you know, it's because we've set such a fine example in Congress over the last 40 years on, on fiscal, uh, on fiscal responsibility. I mean, the fact that Puerto Rico has gotten its act together might be a real great selling point. Uh, you know, it's at least one state that's, uh, that would be. Uh, that will have gone through this and, and will want to bring the, the federal government along for the ride. So uh, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Governor Fortuno, and I did want you to address that. I, but I mostly want to let people know that those issues are pretty much in the rearview mirror now. So this is sort of a fresh starting point, and it makes for a, a pretty good point at which for which Congress to actually uh, commit to a, a binding election. In, in Puerto Rico to uh, to let people decide uh, where they want to where they want to be with this. Now, uh, obviously, you're there, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how the people of Puerto Rico are looking at this latest attempt to make a decision here to get something done. Sure. I actually I just came uh, from a chamber of commerce state chamber of commerce event here, uh, and a number of people stopped me, uh, hoping that so, something will happen. They were asking me, do you think this time something will happen? Uh, and I, all I can say is I'm hopeful. Uh, uh, certainly believe that this ought to be a bipartisan effort. It yep. shouldn't be you know, one party or the other. Uh, hopefully, uh, on my party side, the Republican side, people will be able to segregate the DC status question from the Puerto Rico status question. Yeah, Puerto Rico question. is exactly puerto rico is just like the 37 territories that became states it's very simple it goes to congress you know and it needs an enabling bill whereas dc most likely requires an amendment to our constitution that's correct yes uh, so so it's very different plus uh again partisan politics should not get in you know into this however having said that however democrats win in dc by nine to one margin uh 
whereas in Puerto Rico, it's a seesaw, you know, and, and so uh, I, I would say it's a purple, it would be a purple state. And I've closed this, this uh, issue with one thought. When Hawaii and Alaska were admitted in 1959, uh, all the pundits were convinced that Hawaii was going to be a Republican state and Alaska was going to be a Democratic state. Well, lo and behold, thank goodness the pundits were wrong and it's actually team inverse. Right. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. But I mean, yeah. and, and I know we got to let you go because you're a very busy man and you've got a lot of things on your plate for, for today. But the bottom line here is that we kind of have to do what's right here. Right? And it really shouldn't, I mean, the, which, you know, which party benefits the most from it is it really shouldn't be a consideration at all. What really should be a consideration are the people of Puerto Rico and the people, those people have been waiting long enough for freedom one way or the other, you know, complete self-determinative uh, freedom one way or the other, either as a state uh, with the, with equal status and dignity as, as all other states and all other citizens of the country, or as an independent country that uh, will reign, a, you know, a fast friend of the United States. Either way, this, the people of Puerto Rico should be able to make that choice and make it stick. I agree, uh, uh, and I echo your words. I will only add the following. It's the 3.2 American citizens residing in Puerto Rico. Right. We're proud to be Americans. You know, uh, you should, again, I was at the chamber event, the number of people uh, that, you know, were wearing the American flag on their lapel. Uh, you know, it's people, we're proud uh, of our heritage. Uh, and that includes being part of the freest and greatest nation in the in the face of the earth. Well, Governor Luis Fortuno, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to watch this a lot more closely than we've been watching it before, and I really appreciate your, your insight into it. Well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You do the same. When we come back, more from The Ed Morrissey Show following this. Welcome back to The Ed Morrissey Show. As always on Tuesdays, we get the opportunity to talk to the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, <laughs> at A.H. Malcolm on the on the Twitterses. And of course, you know him at redstate.com. Uh, he's doing VIP columns over there, and he's doing some stuff in the clear these days, too. So you're going to have to keep going over to redstate.com to check that out. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Good to be here, as always, all these years. So let me ask you this. Did you... Um, how much time did you spend watching that uh, that primetime um, uh, program on the gen from the January sixth committee? I think it was Thursday night. How much time did you put into that? I uh, I didn't get a lot. I had laundry to do. Yeah, you know, I had a friend in town, and and and, <laughs> and after that, I had a bone in my foot. So yeah. you know, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I. Uh, uh, you know, I. Uh, nothing ever comes of this stuff. So. I, uh, it's great TV, I guess. I'm not. I'm not even sure it's great TV. It didn't get. No, didn't but get I a mean, lot of... yeah, I should have said it's great for TV. Yeah, yeah it, you know, it, it assembles a crowd. I don't actually have a problem with the January 6th committee. I don't have a problem with it being on television. I don't even have a necessarily have a problem with it being on on prime time, except that it's it's clearly designed here, not because there's some great revelations that were going to come out. But because apparently the committee feels the need to tell its story again and again and again. <laughs> Be yeah. Because I guess they feel that nobody's really paying attention to them. And they're right. I, and they're right. 
And and I, it's not that I it's not that I don't think that this is worthy of investigation. I, I don't like the process by which it's being investigated, but I still think it's worthy of 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 some investigation. Uh, it's that it's it's not a this isn't the front line issue for most people. They're not going to cast their ballot as much as the January sixth committee might want them to do it. People aren't going to make their midterm uh, yeah. ballot decisions based on the narratives that we keep hearing over and over and over again from this committee. Uh, I mean, it's just people aren't looking at January 6th as their primary issue, their secondary issue, even their tertiary or whatever comes after tertiary. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Andrew, what comes after tertiary? I actually don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the only reason, and it's semi-hidden that I can see for this, is that they're trying to foul the waters more for a Trump in 2024. Right. So it's political. I mean, this is yeah. it's oh, not it's, legal. Yeah, it's obviously political. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's political. And and again, I mean, Washington's all about politics, right? I'm not I'm not saying it's illegitimate because it's political. Political. But what I am saying is that it's not terribly compelling because it's political either. Uh, no, I know. And, and they, it's like Biden talking about people don't recognize his spectacular successes because there aren't any. And and he gets more time saying that. And it's the same for the committee. You know, if you go on in prime time, you're going to get some prime time coverage and people will pay attention. But you also, if it isn't very good, you risk turning people off. So as soon as they hear January 6th, they go, no, no, moving on. And I don't mean watching TV. I mean anything in the news. Um, these people are so wrapped. I've mentioned this in a couple of columns recently. These people are so wrapped up in how things look uh, that they're not paying any attention to the substance of things. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and again, even if... I guess my issue with this, and I'm, where I'm going with this, is is a disparity in press coverage in terms of newsiness of of issues. Yeah, you know, we've heard all this story. If you're paying attention to what's going on in the January 6th investigation, we heard all of this before. Even the one thing that was sort of the the newsy, catchy thing that uh, might have been a an interesting, if not terribly substantive, development, which is that. Ivanka Trump didn't think that the election was stolen and she kind of agreed with uh, Bill Barr on that. They leaked that the day before. It was already out. Everybody knew that. Yeah. Um, and so the only thing that happened was that you could actually see, you know, the clip from the testimony. Otherwise, this is your typical sort of, you know, House testimony. It's, you know, committee hearings are not terribly compelling uh, viewing. No, and they, and they're all, it's... It isn't scripted, but it is scripted. They know exactly what the answers yeah. are going to be because they've already talked to them. And, and you know, it, this is not unusual on television. Uh, late night show interviews are not scripted by the word, but they're scripted by the subject. Um, they do pre-interviews, producers do, yeah. of, all, of all the guests. And so, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel says, so I understand you had a problem with your luggage in Paris. Boom, because he knew that the guests wanted to talk about losing their luggage in Paris. Right. It it it's so planned. I it's 
you know, you know, you know that um, looking for um, that alleged reality show where the brothers show people to into new houses and they end up picking one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's phony. <clears throat> they they don't take someone as a subject to report on unless the person has already bought a house. Yeah. So they and then they set up and they take them to two houses that they have absolutely no interest in. They talk about them and then they take them to the house that they already bought and they go, "Oh, we'll buy this one." I mean, it it that's yeah. TV. And 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 that's what this is too. I mean, this yeah, it's it's yeah. TV. It's it's I'm interested to find out when they're when they're done with their investigation, write a report or make a referral. I mean, if there's anything in there that's really and, and by the way, the Ivanka thing is immaterial to any sort of legal thing. It doesn't matter what Ivanka believed. <laughs> doesn't yeah. even matter. Doesn't even matter about her testimony or what her father believed. Um, and because it's that would be completely hearsay. It's unusable in court. It's strictly for politics. And and frankly, I mean, I mean, they're still even as we're speaking right now, they're holding a hearing, and everything I'm hearing is that well, everybody told Trump that he lost the election. Well, yeah, because he did. I mean, I don't think anybody. I mean, I, I'm sorry. There are some people who dispute this, but they're they're. I'll, I'll just say that there are some people who dispute this. But it's been, it was pretty clear right off the bat that they lost the election and the failure of the election challenges made it very clear that their theories on this were basically wild ass speculation. Um, but that doesn't mean that Donald Trump didn't necessarily believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're not proving that he, that he believed anything else other than he, that the election was stolen from him. And I, mean, I think we, I think we knew that. Yeah. Again, this is not. Uh, well, I mean, well, you know, and, and these these investigations, nothing comes of them. Yeah. I mean, four there won't people be a died, referral. Yeah, four people died in Benghazi. They had all those hearings. And nothing, nothing. Yep. They had a they had an accountability review board with Admiral Mike Mullen doing the investigation, allegedly, of Hillary Clinton's State Department. He took the notes that Hillary Clinton's chief of staff gave him. He never interviewed Hillary Clinton, who was in charge that whole deadly night. And then they, they couldn't find anybody to uh, to criticize. They had some systemic bureaucratic problems. So, you know, there's no accountability that both both parties cover each other's butt. Uh, and I don't know, it's a, it's a waste of time, but I guess they can sell detergent ads around them I, I well maybe they can i'm i'm not sure they're, they're back in the daytime so maybe yeah maybe not well, anymore they have a lot of they have a lot of make goods from the olympics flop right yeah that's, anyway. that's right yeah you're right about that but but i want to contrast this because all all the networks except for fox news covered the um hearings on that thursday night they're all covering it today even fox news is broadcasting them live I want to contrast that with the lack of coverage that an assassination attempt on a sitting Supreme Court justice, which is, you know, maybe one of the most that's uniquely terrible, uh, yeah. you know, developments in in American political history, um, got almost none, almost oh. zero coverage. Washington Post actually did a decent job of it. The New York Times, you couldn't even find it on their front page for several hours. Um, and... Yeah. The Sunday shows, all the Sunday shows, including Fox News Channel, didn't talk about it at all. Not at all. The fact that 
that a uh, an assassin made it all the way to his house <laughs> with a with a kit bag that is best described as a rape kit, right? Zip ties, duct tape, um, uh, uh, you know, pepper spray plus the uh, weapons and, and ammo and uh, magazines. Yeah, yeah, and yet nobody's covering that, Andrew. Why not? What's what's well, going nothing on? happened, Ed, and it's it's a Republican, so you know. How much how much coverage did they give when uh, that Bernie Sanders guy shot up the Republican baseball game? They they gave it quite a bit of coverage right until they realized it was a Bernie Sanders guy. And I think that and I then, think then it became a local story again, except for the fact yeah. that Steve Scalise was fighting for his life and then fighting to recover yeah. for several months. You never were to heard anything about it after that point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And well and they are um well, we can get to it in my column, but the the media has earned its distrust. Uh, and they're not doing much to change that. No, they're not. They're not doing anything to change this. And I think the Kavanaugh thing is, I mean, I mean, this is a really serious attempt at Kavanaugh's life. This is a guy who traveled from California. And again, he had all this stuff. He was dressed all in black. He had, um, he had uh, padding around his boots so that he could, you know, stalk up on this, uh, on the house and only got stopped because he saw two armed U.S. Marshals outside the house and they saw him. And he then turned around left, turned himself in and claimed that he needed psychiatric help. I'm not sure I doubt that, but I mean, he's, it's, it's, yeah. if he's laying the basis for an insanity plea, it ain't going to work. Because that's not how insanity please um, function. In speaking of insanity, John yeah. Hinckley is, was totally released the other day. <sighs> yeah. Well, that's the reason why we have tougher we have tougher obstacles for insanity please. You know, before uh, I. By the way, I'm I'm having my my favorite uh, fast food drink. I, I I won't mention the name because they don't. Why I don't not? Think they're, because they're. <laughs> I don't do product placement. Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do product placement because we're we're pure here yeah <laughs> well i had a sonic uh grilled cheese today too there so. you go we're gonna get to our um we're gonna get to how we bolstered our vip uh, membership at uh at the town hall media group in just a moment but um because we are all about shameless promotion here at the ed morrissey show but that's right uh, but uh, but just to stick on this Kavanaugh thing, and I don't want to necessarily make this the go-to uh, hypothetical because I'm hoping that nobody thinks to do something stupid like this. But had somebody targeted, say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'll, I'll put it in the past just so I can, I, I don't necessarily need to name any sitting uh, justices. Had somebody done gotten that close to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it would have been wall-to-wall -wall coverage. It would have been oh, yeah, proclaimed, right. proclaimed, Andrew, and you know this, the, it would have been the narrative is that conservatives are, you know, that, that, that domestic, you know, conservatives are fueling domestic terrorism and they're, and it's, um, they're trying to, um, they're trying to decapitate these, um, these institutions and by golly, we've got to do something about all the rhetoric. Uh, and, you know, right. and, and and there wasn't much talk about Chuck Schumer saying that, uh, well, these justices, they have to reap the whirlwind. 
Well, there was yeah. on there was on our sites. <laughs> yeah. There was in the conservative media. There wasn't. There was zero accountability for this. Even at the time, there was zero accountability for this from Chuck Schumer. And Chuck Schumer just a month ago was saying he had no problem with people showing up and demonstrating outside uh, judges' houses, even though it's a federal crime to do so. <laughs> it's a federal crime. It's literally a federal crime to demonstrate in front of a federal judge's house when they're deliberating a case. I uh, didn't know that. 18 USC 1507. Um, and yeah, Well, I was going to say that. But, I know, uh, I know. I I stole the words right out of your mouth. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's one that just trips right off the tongue. 18 U.S.C. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I mean, th so. there's no coverage of this. Nobody is covering this. And it's uh, amazing to me when you look at I mean, and it's not just me. And, and actually, it's not just conservatives either, because while I am not a big fan of Bill Maher or his show, um, I'm not, I don't have any particular uh, uh you know animosity towards bill maher i just don't enjoy his show i don't enjoy that format it's not even his show it's just that whole well, live just like audience comedy call. format format a one man crossfire yeah yeah i mean it's i mean it just um i don't like the format so it's not maher himself really i didn't like it with john stewart either on the daily show and or trevor noah still on the daily show but um I mean, even Bill Maher, who is hardly a conservative, was saying if this had been a liberal-leaning justice, it would have been front-page news all the time, wall-to-wall -wall in the New York Times. And the fact that they're not doing it is because simply it doesn't support their narrative. I mean, it's it's not, right. that, it's not that hard to, to realize this. I mean, it's, the bias is so far out in the open now that it's undeniable. Yep, and I don't know... Uh, that anything will be done about it um they're they're fat and sassy and happy with the way they are they don't feel accountable and uh, yep. they'll they'll reap the whirlwind but not immediately no i think and maybe in, in, a, in a lot of instances they already are uh, i think that people don't talk to them because of that i think that people uh you know that their that their influence is waning i mean you hear this whining from the media all the time well you know people aren't people you know uh, uh, demagogues are undermining our our uh, yeah. credibility well, no it's, it's not the, other the demagogues. Way it's the other way around right do you think that do you think the demagogues would talk about something if it didn't ring a bell in most people's heads no well they are the demagogues that's the point yeah these guys are the demagogues speaking of demagogues we got to get to biden because you had a great post up. You have a great post up and went up uh, this morning. Putin is now selling more oil at higher prices than before Joe Biden's embargo. Um, yeah, isn't that amazing? Well, yeah, because... Markets we, work. <laughs> markets work, and we're not producing enough oil to counteract that. The Tell us, well, first, before, we, yeah, before we get into my, my post about Biden over the weekend let's talk about your let's talk about your vip column first tell us a little bit about your vip column what was that about it i don't remember what, what my post oh <laughs> no 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 mine oh yours <laughs> <laughs> so um so vladimir putin is profiting off of our embargo at least in the short term he's no. profiting off no the no that 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 was in the open that post this morning it it 
Oh, that's right. It, it isn't a VIP. It, that's that's in the it, open. Yeah. The, the VIP was the one on the, on um, a media retrospective um, tied in with my career and looking back on how things had changed. And, oh, well, we, and, yeah, we should and, definitely and, do and, yeah. and not for the better. But uh, the one on Putin, it just struck me. Uh, I was poking around last night looking at some notes and reports, and I realized the price of oil uh, just before the invasion in Ukraine was $92. And last Friday, it was $122. Uh, and then you go and look at where is Putin selling his oil? Uh, and you, and Biden is like, wow, we're not buying anymore. And Europe, the European Union has agreed that by the end of the year, that's just, uh, they're going to stop buying any Russian oil, which, of course, gives the war time to end. So they won't have to do it because they're stuck on, hooked on, uh, on Russian oil. Well, uh, Putin, very cleverly, is uh, selling oil to India, which uh, has not criticized Russia, didn't sign on to the condemnation letters at the UN. Um, and uh, they're getting, uh, India's getting a 30% discount. And a lot is going to China and Asia. Now, it's not easy to get Russian oil all the way around to Asia. Right. Uh, but uh, they're building a pipeline with China. Uh, the Russians are, and uh, uh, the number of oil tankers leaving uh, Russian ports is down slightly, but the actual sales of Russian oil are are way up. So he's getting $30 more a barrel. The barrel is, by the way, uh, 44 liquid gallons. So he's getting he's getting 30 uh, $30 more a barrel. He's just selling to different people. And uh, Biden is still doing a victory lap about uh, how he shut down Russian oil. Well, no, <laughs> the guy's making more money than he was before the finance is war. So uh, I thought that was worthy of note. I think that's worthy of note. Before we get to my thing about Biden's demagoguery, let's talk. Uh, we should talk a little bit about the death rattle of daily newspapers. That is the VIP column yeah. at, at redstate.com because it kind of it, it kind of dovetails into the discussion we were having about the the the, the editorial bias of not yeah. covering the kavanaugh assassination attempt as anything other than local news yeah well i didn't get into the kavanaugh thing but it, no. the the bias of of what newspapers don't cover um is so blatant uh, and I've, I've often likened, maybe even on this platform, I've often likened the media uh, for a very long time, including when I started back in the 60s, uh, the daily newspapers as uh, wearing the white coats of pharmacists. And um, they decided what the news was. Uh, people lined up and they were handed their daily dose of news in the morning or the afternoon. And Walter Cronkite gave them 22 minutes at night. And at the end, he said, and that's the way it is. And everybody, everybody took it. Uh, well, that was a monopoly, and the, the newspapers dwindled to one per city in many cases. Uh, and then the families, second, third generation kids, decided ah, they weren't all that interested in the business; they wanted the money. And so the chains took over, and they became monopoly chains in many cities. And Gannett, which I think you wrote about last yep. week, Gannett said no. 
uh, we're going to uh, not have any more columnists and we're going to cut down on the space for editorials. Um, and that's another sign of the arrogance, I think, of the media was the editorials telling people what they should think. Uh, I wrote editorials for some years on the LA Times, but I wasn't telling people what to think. I was telling them what to think about. They can make up their own opinion. Uh, and um, I really enjoyed the exercise because it's very tight writing. Uh, I learned a lot about writing in those years. Um, and I think five or 600 editorials. And my assignment was write editorials that I would never expect to see on the editorial page of the LA Times. That's what the editor said. Uh, so they were different, offbeat, unusual, and um, I don't know that my colleagues liked them all that much, but uh, they stuck out because they weren't lecturing the people. And if you talk to ministers, maybe you have, Ed, and if you talk to certainly to coaches, uh, modern parishioners and modern athletes as young people, they don't want to be told what to do. They want to hear stories that lead them to do something on their own. And athletes, high school athletes especially, they want to be told why they're doing these exercises. And coaches have had to change. Well, editorials in newspapers didn't change. And uh, so I can understand Gannett doing it. Now, they're not doing it for altruistic reasons. They're doing it for, for money and save newsprint. But uh, it's, it's a sad commentary. Um, and as I said earlier, the media has earned its distrust, but we need a vibrant press. Uh, it may not be a press using printing presses. You can't, you can't make an economic argument for newspapers uh, these days. They, you just can't, you can't do it. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, cut down trees in Canada, chop them up into mulch, make paper out of them, weigh two or three tons, put them on trains, haul them down to cities, put them on trucks, haul them to the printing plant, roll them in, put them on presses that cost a fortune and print paper, then put the paper on the trucks and drive it out, put it into individual cars and they drive them out. To, How do you can't do that anymore? There's just no economics of that and make any money. Department stores are moving away from advertising and all the big people that Macy's used to be the biggest advertiser in the New York Times. Well, they're gone. They're going to other places and people are going to other places for their news. Uh, and newspapers were late. Now, some of them have caught up. The New York Times, to its credit, has turned a digital operation into a money-making huge operation. Wall Street Journal, they, were, they had a paywall from the get-go um and uh, and a few others uh, belatedly putting on paywalls to try to make make some money but people are so accustomed to not paying right this leads us to the vip ed which leads us to the vip discussion <laughs> we should talk a little bit about that by the way uh so across the town hall media group of course hot air and red state being um members of that twitchy um you know, bearing arms, other, you know, PJ media um, sites like Instapundit and, and, and so on, uh, have adopted a, a new comment policy. Uh, before we were using Discus and it was pretty much open comments, uh, but now we are uh, reserving that as a privilege for our paid VIP members, which I think is a great idea. I think that uh, I, I'm very much in favor of that idea. I think that 
uh, people who are invested in us should have some perks for that investment. And so I, I'm really glad to see that we're going to have that be something that's um, a an exclusive experience for our VIP and VIP Gold members. And um, and if, again, if you're a VIP member, you're a VIP member to a single site. So you're a Hot Air VIP member, you're a Red State VIP member. If you're a VIP Gold member, you automatically become a VIP Gold member to all sites. So um, the nice and, thing- And, and there's a 40% discount right now. You use the Save America code. Save America, all one word, Save America code, and you can get a 40% discount on your VIP or VIP gold memberships. And again, you know, it's not like we promote, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like we, yeah, we don't promote things. We don't promote on, products. We, we pro, we, Ooh, we, this is good. We don't, we don't promote, <laughs> we don't promote anything at all, you know, like, uh, uh, oh, only know. the, only the worthy things. Yeah. yeah. We, we only promote the really good stuff, you know, on, on, the, on these the, podcasts. To be serious a moment, the VIP does get you um, special coverage uh, and the VIP gold gets you special discussions that you can participate yep. in online. Um, and that and money goes to fund and that money goes to fund um, first person journalism. Uh, you know, right now, Julio is doing most of that for us. But I mean, Katie Pavlich is doing that for us. She's a White House correspondent. The money for that, the resources for that come out of the VIP and VIP and VIP gold um, subscriptions. Um, it allows us to do um, longer, more thoughtful posts, um, more analytical posts. I was going to get into my post about Biden's demagoguery last week, but um, which was lengthy and took me quite some time to research. Um, but um, we'll save that for another discussion. Well, but, uh, um, but let's, let's talk just briefly about the economic rationale for this. Yep. The big tech is censoring media. They're shadow banning stories. Uh, a lot of our posts will not get to everyone, uh, links to them. And that's the livelihood for conservative media. It doesn't happen to the liberal media, but it, uh, it happens to conservative media, and that's the lifeblood uh, that we can sell advertising to based on clicks and traffic. And if we can't get that, um, then they'll squeeze us out of existence. So to circumvent that, we have this membership level, which um, uh, I think is, is a really good idea, uh, but uh, like most things in life, there was my father said that are worthwhile. It takes a little bit of extra effort and money. It does so, indeed. Um, uh, but you do get something for it. This is not a charity operation. No, no. We wanted to make sure that we are providing, you know, clear benefits for people who who invest in us and invest in our um, who believe in us, invest in us invest in our operations. And so being able to provide exclusive commenting, I think is a really good way of uh, creating a uh, that sort of community that we're hoping to create through VIP and VIP gold subscriptions. So again, you can use the code save America to uh, get a 40% discount on that. And we really hope you do really hope that you join the comments. And even if you know, even if you're, even if you disagree with us and, and you put that in the comments, we're, we're happy to have the conversation with our subscribers because we know our subscribers aren't going to be trolling us. And we know that or trolling others and uh, that we're going to have really good conversations in these um, 
in these uh, comment sections now. So we're really, I, I can tell with you this, among my colleagues, we're looking forward to it. Sorry, Ed. With this 40% discount, it works out to p literally pennies a day. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to have access to the extra coverage for pennies a day is um, less than a toll uh, on a on a freeway, which isn't you know, free. Less than a toll on a tollway. Might even be less than <laughs> less than. Might even less be less than, than your favorite drink. Maybe you were maybe less than your favorite drink. It certainly is going to be less than this fabulous book that's right behind me because Which is we still available. It's, that title I can hardly see it. Ed. What is it? Uh, <clears throat> going red. Going red. Yes. Going it's, red. Uh, yeah, I saw the red part. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's just a really good author wrote that. Uh, some schmuck wrote it. I don't know who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, it's the guy over my other shoulder that wrote it. That's right. Okay. Yeah, right. There, there we go. All right. Well, we're coming up to the, coming up to the end of our oh, segment, yeah. but we've got to get the jokes of the week, and they've got to be better than the jokes we've just been telling for the last couple of minutes, Andrew. Well, I, I, I I'm running out of them because uh, uh, they're not uh, they're not giving them to me much anymore. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon replay. This is an old one. A new survey found that Green Bay, Wisconsin, is the drunkest city in the U.S. You can tell because no one in Green Bay remembers answering the survey. <laughs> um, this one, I've done this before, but I just love it. Ha Leno, Jay Leno. Hollywood is talking now about making a new Mad Max movie where people steal and kill over limited gas supplies at some time in the future, like July. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a joke that's come back around, right? Yeah, I yeah. know, I know. Um, let's see, uh, some people, Jay Leno said, some people are now boycotting Arizona products because of its tough new illegal immigrant laws. That's really going to cripple the bolo tie industry. Oh, man, I yeah, tell you, no, <laughs> I live in Texas, man. That bolo tie industry is a big, is a big key down here. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, um, Conan O'Brien replay. He says, a recent survey found the first thing a man notices about a woman is her hair. The survey was conducted by the Institute of Lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you All go. right. Andrew Malcolm laying down some truth for us here on the Ed Morrissey <laughs> Show. As always on Tuesdays, the Prince of Twitter the regent of redstate.com. You can find him at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitter. Says, Andrew, we'll talk to you again next week, sir. You bet. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, everybody. See you later. All right. Stay tuned for more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I am really pleased to introduce a man who has a better studio than I do. Rick Green of PatriotAcademy.com. <laughs> That's going to be my claim to fame, Ed, from now on. The man that has a better studio than Ed. That, I'm just going to go by that moniker. Forget America's Constitution, Coach, and all that. The man that has a better studio. No, it's good I, to be with you. I'm telling you, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get notes from the home office saying, why doesn't your studio look like Rick Green's? It's uh...
I have to brag on my son. My son Reagan is the one that set all this up. So I'm 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 thankful to have him on my team. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, Rick Green from PatriotAcademy.com and uh, inspiring liberty from one citizen to another. We're going to talk a little bit about arming teachers and training teachers to be armed because that's important. If you're going to if teachers are going to be armed, they should be trained in not just how to handle the weapon, but with the you know the legal aspects of doing this are, the legal aspects of self-defense, which I'm a big believer in education in that sense as well. But first off, let's talk about patriotacademy.com. What is it that you do at sure. patriotacademy.com? Yeah, Ed, I started it back when I was a legislator here in Texas, just kind of got frustrated. I was a young legislator, so 27 years old, and, and uh, you know, I had kind of idealistic when I went in. I thought, hey, that you know, we're going to line up every day and we're going to have conservative versus liberal and, and whoever has the best idea and makes the best arguments will win. doesn't really work that way. And I, and I found so few people that even knew conservative arguments that had any inkling or foundation in terms of the principles of liberty and could, could even back up their ideas. It really frustrated me. And I uh, said, man, we got to raise up a new generation that gets it. So we started as a youth leadership program, started bringing kids into the state capitol once a year, and, and they would live the life of a legislator, 16 to 25-year-olds, and we would teach them founding fathers' philosophy. They'd learn constitutional jurisdictions, biblical worldview. Where did the founding fathers get these ideas? We've been doing that 20 years now and uh, do it in states across the country. That's our flagship but then we also do handgun defense training. We call it constitutional defense, handgun training during the day, constitution training at night. And we now have 13,000 constitution coaches that actually use our constitution classes to bring their friends and family together in their home or at church to ask questions, to study these ideas and look for answers for how to turn our nation back around to be a place of liberty instead of this confusing place of sometimes really soft, not just soft tyranny, but but unfortunately uh, out and out tyranny. You know, Rick, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned the issue about civics. And we're talking in, in, in a significant part about a lack of real civics education in the United States. And I added, you know, I went to CPAC, this was maybe, I don't know, maybe 16 years ago, 15 years ago or so, maybe a little bit sooner than that. And I had a really great conversation with uh, somebody who you'd never expect to see at CPAC, which was, you know, Hollywood actor Richard Dreyfus, who's about as liberal as you get. But he actually showed up at CPAC so that he could engage conservatives on the need to uh, improve civics education in junior high schools and high schools. Yeah. And first off, kudos to him. I've always, because he was clearly uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't blame him, right? I don't blame right. him. I think he was a little surprised that people greeted him as warmly as they did and they treated him as nicely as they did. But I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't blame him a bit for being nervous, but it was a great conversation to have because that frustration over a lack of understanding, just the basics of yeah. constitutional structure, of why Congress is, is structured the way it is, why we have, you know, a, a separation of powers, co-equal branches of government. This is these are all issues that come up over and over and over again and are, are misunderstood by many because we don't teach these things anymore. And so it falls to places like patriotacademy.com yeah. to do the type of education that is really necessary for good citizenship that our public education, public education at least, um, has really dropped the ball on. Yeah, you know, and I would argue public and private. I mean, we've just failed miserably at, at teaching civics. It's actually, you look at most state constitutions, it's the reason for public education is to have, quote, informed citizens. Uh, a constitutional republic can't survive if we don't know how it works and we, the people, don't step up and, and do our job. I, I think the latest uh, survey they did, 74% of Americans cannot even name the three branches of government. I mean, most people thought it was just AOC that couldn't on uh, 74%. Right. Think about that. I mean, and, and as you said, the whole idea of separation of powers, 
why we don't want to put all the power in the president's hands, why the court isn't the final say, it should not be the final say on every law in America. How does an American constitutional republic work? We're not going to keep it if we don't know that. Um, First Chief Justice John Jay said every citizen ought to read and study the Constitution because if they know their rights, they'll perceive when they're violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. I think the real problem in America is exactly what you just said. It's the civic ignorance. It's been festering underneath all these petty tyrants of the COVID crackdowns, the people being willing to give up their liberties, all of those things, symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is civic and biblical ignorance, not knowing where we came from, not knowing how our system works. If people know it, then they'll recognize, wait a minute, what you're doing is wrong. You can't, government can't do that because it says right here. But if we don't know it, then we're going, hmm, maybe government is supposed to tell me when I can leave my house. Maybe government can tell me to shut down my business or not meet you know, at, at my church or whatever the issue might be. So we've just, we've got to improve that. And you're exactly right. I think it does fall on private organizations. We're not the only one, of course, there's a resurgence of interest in this. Millions of people are asking the right questions right now. So it's kind of an exciting time to be an American. It's an exciting time to do what I do for sure, because so many people are hungry to learn these things. Well, tell us a little bit about biblical citizenship too. I'm, I'm, I am, I mean, certainly I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm Catholic. I'm, you know, I'm, I like to say I practice because I'm really lousy at it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a practicing, uh, I'm a practicing Christian, but uh, I, I'm not sure that I understand or I, that I fully grasp the, the concept of biblical citizenship. So tell us a little bit about your approach on that. Yeah, we, we designed this course to basically come at it uh, from, from both approaches and, and say, look, if you're in the faith community, if, if you call yourself a, a Christian, then you believe the Great Commission is to teach them to obey everything I commanded you. That was what Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. And, and if, you, if your faith is important to you, then the Bible is the guide. It has all the answers, and we're supposed to uh, be biblical in everything that we do. But for really about 40 or 50 years, Ed, we've kind of separated the political realm and said, well, the Bible tells me how to be a good husband or a good wife or a good father, tells me how to be a good businessman, how to treat my employees or how to work hard and have good work ethic, but it doesn't tell me how to be a good citizen. Well, that makes no sense whatsoever. The Bible talks an awful lot about how to be a good citizen, how society should work, how we should treat our neighbors, how we should form our our, our countries, all of those things. The Bible has much to say about it. So our course basically says, okay, if you're a person of faith, you need to know how to be a biblical citizen. And then if you live in the United States, you need to know how to do that under our constitution. So we want to be biblical citizens in modern America. And therefore we have to study both the Bible and the constitution and make sure that we're doing this thing well, because guess what? You're Caesar. I'm Caesar. Uh, We have to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. And in America, we, the people are Caesar. So how do you do Caesar? Well, how do we live out our citizenship in a good way and be salt and light because those people out there that aren't people of faith they benefit when we're good salt when we bring out the flavor in the culture when we preserve the culture everybody benefits but we have to first accept that responsibility of self-government and then being good biblical citizens that influence the rest of the culture in a positive way well amen to that and and i would say that if you if you read the bible carefully including including you know the old testament the new testament it's very clear that there are reasons for subsidiarity and solidarity, and these are the two. These are the two things that are intention. When it, I don't want to say intention, but perhaps that are are incorporated with each other, is that there are moments for solidarity where you have a larger aggregation of effort. There are moments of subsidiarity when it's really on you. When when action is incumbent on you personally. Uh, rather than uh, as as some sort of uh, community, and I think yeah. that that really informs 
the American, the original American structure, the original American constitutional structure, because the Constitution itself is a document that really tries to encompass what is subsidiary, you know, where we apply subsidiarity and where we apply solidarity, right? And then the federal government is a form of solidarity. Yeah. And all of the all of the rights and responsibilities that are devolved to the states or to the people is an expression of how subsidiarity works best for most governmental purposes, because that is where uh, that is where any 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 of the benefits and any of the responsibilities are are executed, period. And and so it's best to have that in in a subsidiary a subsidiary arrangement so that the accountability is closest to the action. I love that, man. I love the way you describe that. And even that discussion, I, that really helps to understand that, you know, everything's not at one level. There are jurisdictions, there's family right. jurisdiction, there's church jurisdiction, there's local government jurisdiction, state government jurisdiction, and then federal. And, and so what you just described is, okay, when do we decide as a people that we want to do this at the highest level or at the, at the largest level? And when do we decide we want to do it at the most like local level. And the principle you just described is what permeated the founders view of where to draw those lines was that it's all, you're always going to be able to hold people accountable best at the local level. So don't give all that power to the federal government because they're thousands of miles away and it's harder to hold them accountable. And that's why we limited them. That's why it's a constitutional republic. That's why there's only 17 things they're supposed to be doing. Yet they're doing all these things where they're outside of that jurisdiction that would have been a lot better left to the states or to the local government or even most of the time left to us as individuals or, or our community of, of interest wherever we are. I think you just hit on something huge. I don't know if I can pronounce those two words. They're pretty big, but I'm going to work on it. <laughs> no, that is so good. I'm serious. I, I might, I'm going to steal it. I'm, I'll give you credit the first time, Ed. After that, it's mine. Well, I'm not sure that I deserve credit for subsidiarity <laughs> and solidarity. I, I suspect that better philosophers than Ed Morrissey have come up with those before, so... I'll be happy to I'll be happy to steal credit for it. But don't don't get me wrong. But you know uh, what? Nobody has these conversations anymore. Nobody no. talks about these things. They just think, well, there's a problem. So go to the nearest government official, whoever it happens to be, whoever's got the biggest check. They don't think about this stuff anymore. And that's why we're in the we no longer have a federal government. We have a national government that does everything for everybody. What you're describing is the answer to getting back to accountability and actually being able to afford the government that we have and have it not run our lives. I mean, this, I wish, I wish we had more people talking about exactly what we're discussing. Well, Rick, that really does bring us to the issue of self-defense because that yeah. is really subsidiarity That's right. in action, right? I mean, right. the second amendment is, it was, was put into place, not just to overthrow tyrants, although that's part of it, not just to hunt, although that's part of it, not just to uh, provide for a common local defense, although that gets closer to the heart of it, but also in large part because people were expected to be able to defend themselves and not right. just defend themselves against invaders, but defend themselves against crime. They did not, this constitution did not uh, envision a police state. That doesn't mean that police right. aren't, were, aren't legitimate, they certainly are, but they didn't envision a, 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 a people which depended on a, 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 a law enforcement core to do all of the all of the defense of the community on its own. And so the Second right. Amendment is critical to subsidiarity in defense. And you just, you just nailed it, man. I can't believe we've never done this together before. We're, you are, we are on the same page. That 
so few people know what you just described. You know, everybody, everybody complain either they want to defund the police or they want more police. It's their fault if somebody gets robbed. James Wilson signed both the Declaration and the Constitution's original Supreme Court justice. He said, if you get robbed in your house, it's your own fault and negligence. Every man's house is his, his castle. We all talk about castle doctrine, but that comes with responsibility to be able to defend the house. And what you just said is exact. If, if, if you depend on the government to save you every time, you need a police state. You'd have to have a police officer in every home. On every corner, I, I mean, my brother-in-law is a sergeant at the Grand Prairie Police Department. I don't want him in my home, and I love him. You know, I don't want a police officer in every home or on every corner. It's incumbent upon us. That is such a good example of, of the breakdown and the jurisdictions. And we've got to take responsibility, and you said it in the opening. It's got to be done in, in a serious way. We have to train. It's not something – I always tell everybody, don't just run out and buy a gun and start carrying it. Make sure you get good training. Make sure you know what you're doing, that you've been through the mental – gymnastics of the moral and ethical questions of of all of the things that you need to be prepared for to be able to make that decision in the moment but that begins with accepting responsibility and saying it's not government's job second amendment places the responsibility on me john adams said he said resistance to sudden violence that's a natural law that's a natural right and you can't give that up to society even if you wanted to they could put anything they want on the statutes and on the books but in the moment they attack the Cubs, Mama Bear stepping up. They attack the kids, we're stepping up. We're going to defend our wives, defend our family, defend the people that are innocent. That's part of our nature. And Adams went on to say that the maxims of Christianity are precisely coincident in, in regard to this. In other words, for those people that think, oh, the Christian thing to do is to, to not be violent, to never respond with, listen, gun violence saves lives if you use the gun violence on the perpetrator. And for those people that step back and say, oh, I don't want to be any part of that, uh, that that's the fool in proverbs that walks blindly on and suffers the consequences i want to be the wise person in proverbs that sees danger foresees danger and takes precautions if more americans would do that fewer lives would be lost to the wolf when they show up because we'd have more sheepdogs defending the sheep indeed and rick you offer courses in constitutional defense at patriotacademy.com and this is uh, looks pretty intensive five days 28 hours of firearms training on the range 12 hours of intellectual training in the classroom. We're going to get to how this is going to apply in schools in just a minute, but I want to lay down the basis of what PatriotAcademy.com is doing here. It is it is creating what I think is, I mean, this, this far exceeds anything that I'm aware of in terms of, you know, carry permits uh, from yeah. states. I, I, I have a carry permit in Minnesota. Of course, I don't live there anymore, but I got a carry permit the last year I lived there, which is still valid. You know, technically in Texas, you don't need it, but you can still get one. Um, normally, I, I think it was eight hours each in, um, well, eight hours of, of book training and one hour on the range for qualification. Um, and I happen to have a good instructor who was willing to actually teach me better technique on the range, but uh, in both cases. But oftentimes you just go down there with a with an instructor who makes sure that you have fired, you know, that you have good group, good enough grouping to where you're, you can safely operate a, a firearm. This is above and beyond type of training here at patriotacademy.com. Yeah. What, what you typically do for concealed carry license is extremely <laughs> minimal. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't take you through any of the, of the mental preparation and very little of the, of the physical preparation of an actual presentation from, from concealed or however you're going to carry your weapon. And, um, this all came out of really a wake-up call for me. I was, man, I was the God and guns guy in the legislature. I passed the bill to stop cities from suing gun makers, blaming them for crime, this ridiculous tort liability theory that we don't do for any other 
product. If you and and by the way, Biden is absolutely lying about they have special protection. If you make a gun and it malfunctions and blows up in my face, I can absolutely sue That's you right. for product liability. But this idea that you're going to blame the gun maker because a criminal broke into my house, stole the gun I bought legally from a manufacturer that made it legally, and then they go commit a crime illegally, and then you're going to blame Colt or Sig Sauer for that. That's insanity. That's like suing Chevy for drunk driving or suing Chevy because of the crazy guy in Wisconsin that ran over, you know, hurt 62 people and killed six. Uh, so it's just bad legal theory. Biden's lying about all that stuff. There, there is an industry that we give that kind of liability protection to. It's called Big Pharma, and they can make their vaccine, and it can damage as many people as they want, and they can't be sued for it. That is a bad idea. But back to the guns. I, <laughs> I was after Andrew Cuomo 20 years ago. We fought him on this, and I because he was HUD secretary, and they were suing these guns. They bankrupted, I think, three smaller manufacturers. Anyway, um, so we fought that here in Texas, and I prevented any city in Texas from jumping on that bandwagon. It was a big deal. It was NRA's number one bill. I've got an ad from Charlton Heston, man. He's sitting between the flags saying, Rick Green's a patriot. You can trust. Join me in supporting Rick Green. We don't need more politicians. We need more patriots. So Moses stumped for me. I was the guy ah. and guns guy. But during all of that time, Ed, I didn't carry my weapon. I'm over there. Second Amendment, Second Amendment. I'm pulling out my pocket. But I didn't carry my firearm. Why? Because I knew I wasn't ready. I knew yep. mentally I wasn't prepared. Physically, I wasn't trained. Deep down, subconsciously, I knew I wasn't ready. And I think a lot of conservatives fall into that. Well, finally, a friend of mine, I guess it's been 11, 11 years now, convinced me to go through a training exactly like what we do. And, brother, I... I had a wake-up call. I'm type A, man. I'm like, I'll step up. I'll take. No, I froze in a simulation, and my family suffered as a result of it in this make-believe simulation. Right. And it made me realize I need to train. I need to go through that mental process. I need the physical repetition where you get the muscle memory and all those things. And so I fell in love with it, started doing it every year, took, you know, take my boys, my daughter, my wife. We all got trained. And then five years ago, we started this constitutional defense so that we could combine both that kind of really good tr physical training with the intellectual ammunition where you really understand why you're doing what you're doing and the constitutional responsibility that you have. And it's been a hit. We put 5,000 people through it. it it's, it's actually better training than most police officers get. Our test at the end of our course is harder than most law enforcement exams. So I say that on one end of the extreme. On the other end, most of the people that come through this class never touched a gun, never done training. 55% of the people that come through are women. The other 45% are drugged there by their wives. <laughs> you know, because we all think we don't need it, right? Hey, I'll uh, tell you, I'll tell you what. My wife is the is the first one to climb on my butt when I haven't gone to the range. She's good just for her. Get and I haven't recently, so I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same position you're at in that I know that if I'm, I I, I am I'm a responsible firearm owner and i'm a responsible carrier too but if i haven't been to the range in a while and i'm not necessarily sure that it's uh, that it's a responsible thing to do to carry because i'm not i'm i don't have the muscle memory you know i've lost it's a that perishable muscle memory. skill it's yeah. a perishable skill right you, you very much definitely go down you know we, we teach people look you're going to drop to about 50 percent of whatever your latest training was just because of the stress if, in the moment meaning like right right yes situation all the crazy stuff you're going to drop down to 50 percent of however you did on the range the last time you did your training and then if you haven't gone for a year or two or three years very much a, a perishable skill but but we love it we have a great time we create a great environment it's not a drill sergeant environment we we train kids we think that's important richard henry lee the guy that made the motion for our independence in the continental congress said you ought to do this while they're young uh, john quincy adams talked about how he he never saw a gun accident unless it was someone that had not been trained while they were young and they didn't know what they were doing 
So 11 and up at 11 years old, you can come through this training with us. If you come with your parents, we think that's, that's vitally important. And, um, and I love, I, I, I could tell you story after story of people that have been through trauma, people that were scared the first day, they were literally crying as the guns were fired the first time. And then by the fifth day, they're crying with joy because they overcame that fear. And now they can walk with confidence and know that should the wolf show up, I can defend my family. It, it's a really rewarding thing. I, I love doing this. It's my favorite thing to do of all the stuff we do. It's my favorite thing to do because it's so quickly in that five days, you see such a turnaround and you know you're sending a dad or a mom or an 18 year old girl that's gonna be on a college campus, you're sending them home ready to defend themselves. I got a, I got a daughter that probably weighs a hundred pounds, man. I don't care how good she is at jujitsu. If that dude's 330 pounds and attacking her, she needs a firearm to yep. be able to stop that threat. So we're passionate about this. And I get angry when there's a mass murder event and I find out some guy's been able to walk through a grocery store or a church or, or a school for five, 10, 15 minutes in Uvalde, an hour and 20 minutes and murdering people because there wasn't a sheepdog there like in West Virginia, where in seconds, that sheepdog with a ponytail pulled out her firearm, took out the bad guy. And I love reading a headline that says only the bad guy died. Everybody else is doing just fine. I want to see more headlines like that. And Rick, the the reason why we're talking about this is because uh, is is because there is new emphasis on training teachers and school administrators who yeah. want who wish to carry uh, to give them right, the training. Not the necessary. ones that don't want to, like right. you know, not if they don't want to, that's fine. Yeah, right. For the ones that do want to, the ones that do, they need first off, they need the ability to do it, meaning they need the regulatory ability to do it. They need to be not be prevented from doing right. so and then being trained to do so you know this, today as we're talking this is monday the 13th uh, governor mike dewine in ohio signed a bill which makes it now much easier for teachers to be able to uh, carry their firearms in case there is some sort of attack on the school this is a, a, a matter of uh, a lot of debate but in in my view i don't understand why this should be different than any other workplace that's right. And since this is a public school, and since it's very clear that even the best police response, and there was actually a good police response, um, I can't, I, 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 where is it's escaping me, just the last few days, uh, there was a really good police response in the school. Alabama, thank yeah, you. Yeah. In Alabama, there's a really good police response in Alabama. Uvalde, a, a completely botched police response. Uh, the, the, the teachers and the administrators in that school, in those schools, deserve to be able to defend themselves. And so tell us a little bit about you know, how, how you're approaching that and yeah. what specifically you're doing to help teachers um, uh, carry firearms responsibly and effectively. Well, and you, and you described it uh, exactly right. We shouldn't treat it different than, than any other workplace. That's why this is a natural law. It's a natural right. You don't give it up and you shouldn't give it up anywhere that you go. You should always be able to, it's interesting, not only in the second amendment, but in all the founding fathers quotes, they say the right to keep and what? Bear arms to have it with you where wherever you go and especially at a school look joe biden's gun-free zones has been an absolute failure he was one of the big proponents of that back in the early 90s it's been a complete failure it's like neon signs to the crazy guy that this is the place you go whether it's the aurora you know um uh, movie theater shooting where the guy passed how many movie theaters that allowed concealed carry to get to one that didn't or it's the schools that they know it's going to be at least minutes uh, before someone else gets there or even the buffalo shooting where the crazy guy in his manifesto said i'm uh, the reason i'm going here is because i think i probably won't meet opposition with a gun because of the gun laws in buffalo and if i do they'll have a low capacity magazine and i'll have a better chance 
So, I mean, they think through this stuff. So we give them the invitation to say, here's where you can go and take people out, uh, you know, that'll be shooting ducks. You nailed it. Look, in Tulsa, it, they were behind the, the bad guy. I think it was three minutes, just three minutes behind. They entered the hospital three minutes behind him. He's still able to kill four people and then kill himself. I hate going to a hospital and seeing a sign that says, I can't carry my concealed weapon. I'm thinking, man, they're going to make me a sitting duck with my family in here. They're making themselves sitting ducks. I hope the Tulsa thing will will wake up some hospitals to know, let right. your people carry concealed weapons. And I know the schools is, is our main topic, but you, you nail it. It's just like other workplaces and it, sh it should be the same. You should be able to carry. Um, I, I kind of think I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm aiming for a, an armed teacher or staff member on every hallway, right? If we can't get every classroom, let's at least rearrange where their classrooms are. If you have certain teachers that have been trained, make sure you've got at least one or some custodian or someone on every hallway so that they can be there in seconds. I'd prefer it be in every room, but I also realize there's teachers that just aren't going to be willing to come. I promise if they would come to our class, we will get them comfortable. I've seen it over and over again. And I'm talking about people with major trauma in their life where a child or someone was killed in front of them with a firearm and we still got them over that trauma and got them prepared to carry. So the people that have never touched a gun, teachers that are listening, please come train with us. We will get you over it. And if you are in a school district or you're where they will let you carry, we'll train you for free. So you don't even have to pay to train with us. Our training wow. is less expensive than most everybody out there. We do it for really cheap, 100 bucks a day, which is way below. Most places it's 400 bucks a day or whatever. We have donors, we're a nonprofit. We want people to get this training. And so for teachers though, it's even completely free if your school allows you to carry. So we're approaching this from a legislative perspective. We're pushing in all 50 states and, and really encouraging. I'm trying to be an advocate everywhere I can uh, to make this possible for more and more teachers and administrators. But where it is legal, we want to get as many people uh, trained as possible. And again, it's proximity to the bad guy when the shooting starts. That's the biggest factor in how many people die and whether it's just the bad guy or more and more children. If you've got somebody there in seconds, you can end this very quickly. If they get barricaded or you're just minutes behind them, I think Buffalo was five minutes. I think Parkland was 10. Um, um, even Sandy Hook was only 10. The guy was coming out of the school by the time. So it's it's all about having a good guy or trained good guy or gal with a gun in the room or on the hallway when the bad stuff happens. And Ed, you know this. You probably said it a million times too. We're not going to stop all evil. There's been mass murder events throughout history, usually committed by government, which is why the Second Amendment's there in the first place, but often committed by a crazed individual. The worst school massacre in American history was just under 100 years ago in Michigan. No firearm involved. It was dynamite and bombs. Just last fall uh, in Oslo, bad guy goes in with a bow and arrow and a knife and kills five or six people. The w Wisconsin one we already mentioned was with a Chevy Suburban. You can kill more people with a large vehicle faster than you can with a firearm. So it's not about the inanimate object. It's about evil exists. And therefore, as long as there's wolves that will prey on sheep, we need sheep dogs. And this side of heaven, that's going to be the case. Rick, is there anything specific or different? I mean, because your your constitutional defense class, I mean, it's five days. It's yeah. 28 hours on the range. It's 12 hours in the classroom. Um, and those are pluses, by the way, over 28 and over 12 yeah. folks. Just, just Depends so you on know. how long wind did I get? You yeah. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to put in a full week's worth of work if you go down to uh, Patriot Academy, but is there anything specific or different that you're doing with the teachers other than of course the, um, the fee structure, which you've already mentioned? 
No, our, our training actually prepares someone, whether they're a teacher in an active shooter situation or a citizen in a restaurant or a, or, or a, a Walmart or whatever it might be. It's pretty much the same. You know, now school districts need to do their own training for who all has a weapon, more of a group situation. And if we were going in and, and training that entire school district, that would be very different. But for us, the training is entirely about being able to present from concealed. So that teacher needs to have that firearm on them concealed somewhere, being able to present from concealed and stop the threat with two to the thoracic cavity in 1.5 seconds. That's what we train. All the muscle, uh, muscle memory on the presentation, the trigger control, the sight picture, knowing what's around you, what's behind, all of the firearms training rules, all of the safety rules. We do all of that over and over and over again throughout that week. And, uh, and, and the results are incredible. I'm, I'm telling you, we do these tests at the end and the way they're able to, to um, perform in a, in a pressure situation, I couldn't be more proud of, of what ends up happening. And of course, people can go to the website and listen to the testimonies of the folks who go through it. My favorite is, uh, is little old Bernice, 89 and a half years old. And she came through last fall in one of her classes. And she let me know when it was all over. She's like, I'm coming back for my 90th birthday. <laughs> I mean, we, it is so fun to watch people and let, and see the, the, the empowerment that it, that it gives them. And I love getting journalists that, you know, people that'll come in there, anti second amendment, anti gun, afraid of guns or whatever. You put them through the course, and wow, it's a it's a wake up call. So anyway, I'm sorry to ramble, but, but no, it's uh, great. We're just we're excited to see more people interested in it. You know, like I said, five thousand in the last couple of years. I want to see twenty thousand go through this course in the next couple of years, and I believe we're going to be able to do that. Rick, well, people can go to patriotacademy.com to find out more, or if you're interested in donating, because Rick did mention that uh, that. They do try to keep the uh, fees down, and they do so through the donations of uh, men and women like yourselves uh, who are looking to promote this type of work. You can go to the same website, patriotacademy.com, and donate through there. And uh, Rick, you got any social media pages that uh, you want to let people know about? Yeah, and they'll they'll all be on that page. So you can do Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Getter, all the different ones out there. Most of those, if you do at Constitution Coach, you'll find me uh, or Patriot Rick Green. But uh, also right there at PatriotAcademy.com, you can just uh, click on the links there. And, and we do a lot of free education. Our Constitution classes are all free. Um, and you can donate to sponsor people. It costs us roughly about five bucks a person. We put hundreds of thousands of people through the courses. As I mentioned, 13,000 coaches out there now hosting the classes, but we'll train you for free. It's free to be a coach. The classes are free and they're fun. These are the only constitution classes on the planet in which you will not sleep. So I promise they're not going to be boring like everybody else's. We make it fun and entertaining. All right, Rick, last question for you. With a studio like that, which, by the way, I'm still jealous about. I, I, I mean, you're, you must be doing some podcasting or some or some other work there with that with that studio. That studio is not there by accident, right? No, we did this just for you, Ed. No, we can't. No, <laughs> no we do. We do a lot of. We love doing a lot of media. That's a big part of what we. You know, uh, we kind of we, we feel like the Constitution's under major attack, and so we think it's really important to defend it. In fact, I'll leave you with just one other quote: that Joseph Story. He was the father of American jurisprudence, wrote most of the opinions on the Supreme Court for the years he was on there. And he said that with this particular right of self-defense, he said it's the palladium of all of our other freedoms. It's the protector of everything else. But he said there's no small danger that indifference will lead to disgust, disgust to contempt, and therefore undermine this very important part of our, our Bill of Rights. And we're watching it happen, right? People are becoming disgusted and have contempt over an inanimate object, a piece of plastic, a piece of metal because of the way it's portrayed in the media. So we 
are trying to get more and more people to be advocates for defending why the right to keep and bear arms is important, why it's not about the weapon itself. It's about the heart of man, and, and it's about the, the concept of self-defense. And so we try to do as much media as we can, whatever news stations or wherever it is, um, to, to, to argue for those things. I think we're teetering, Ed, man. We're either going to go full tyranny or we're going to come back to liberty. And so we've all got to become champions of this and force multipliers. I do, I'm do. i more confident than most people, though, because I get to see these classes and I see this remnant of young people uh, being raised up. So be encouraged. Help is on the way. We're getting a lot more constitutionalists raised in our country over the last couple of years. Rick Green, PatriotAcademy.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with more from The Ed Morrissey Show. Thanks for tuning in to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. If you like what you saw, be sure to subscribe at each of the different platforms. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Rumble, we're on YouTube, and we're at the Town Hall Media Player. So be sure to subscribe. Subscriptions are important. Really do appreciate that. It's free. Uh, be sure to like the video if you like that as well. We want to get the word out as much as we possibly can. Really want to thank you for being with us. And while you're at it, if you're at any one of the town hall websites, especially hotair.com, be sure to subscribe to our VIP program or our VP, VIP gold program, which has uh, extra benefits for our subscribers. That is a paid subscription service, but that money goes to fund important uh, initiatives such as Julio Rosas's on the road journalism, first person journalism, journalism you can trust from the border, from the unrest in cities and all other sorts of things. We do all sorts of fun things with our VIP gold uh, subscription members, including our VIP gold chat that I do with Cam Edwards on Wednesday afternoons. Cam Edwards from BearingArms.com. Each of our sites have their own live chat editions and their own uh, streaming shows for VIP Gold members. So be sure to subscribe to the Hot Air uh, VIP, VIP Gold, which goes across the entire Town Hall media spectrum, and especially to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. So we really appreciate it. Thank you for watching. <laughs>